Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, welcome to the program. Uh, appreciate you being here. My, uh, what do they call those things? I mean, but my earrings are, the headphones take the thing you stick through the hole in your ear and shove it into my neck. It is like, <coughs> okay. Hello there. Uh, on the canine on the report, the new canine report, um, He was, I was reading last night, and he was very, he was chewing. He's a chewer. He was, I, I got him a lot of things to chew on, chew b- toys and bones. And, man, he was really going at something. And I looked over, and I thought, what is that? <laughs> oh, dear. It was my my new shoe. It looks... One of them still looks okay, but <laughs> that one is gone. <laughs> All right, so that's the, other than that, he's been just perfect. By the way, I decided, despite the fact that he's black and white, to name him Blue. Don't ask. I, di- I don't know if I even told you that yesterday, but Blue. It just fits him. Either that or Muggsy. Is he, 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 I know Muggsy's cuter, but I don't know. Either way, he doesn't know any. He he doesn't. He's not aware of what his name is. So it's a daunting task to name somebody. As we, I was mentioning yesterday, uh, you know, I've got a lot of names. I can't stand any of them, and I had nothing to do with giving myself any of the names I have. At least my guest yesterday, Foo, tried to legally change his name to Foo, which is how if he were knocked on the head and rendered unconscious and had come to and somebody said who are you he would have said foo it's who you see yourself as so that should be on your on your legal records it seems well there's so much to talk about as usual guys um i just have to i don't know i I, bear with me i'm going to be careening here hither and yon um I was in my car for a brief moment yesterday, and I had CNN squawking, and they said, they were talking, of course, about the outrage du jour, uh, and that the uh, revocation of the security clearance for uh, John Brennan, the former CIA director, (laughs) and... um, they were flat out saying, well, this is Trump doing what Trump does. It's, uh, it's distraction. It's just flat out distraction. Uh, he's having a, a bad week. Uh, you got Manafort probably about to go off to prison. You've got, uh, you got this, that, and the, I can't even, you know, you can't keep up with it. And um, the sense that the noose is tightening around uh, the White House and so, of course, he has to have something that the press then starts chasing, sort of like, you know, a dog with a ball. Hey, oh, over here. 
and then they all go off and do it. So the, one of them said, well, this is Trump doing what he's really good at, and that is um, manipulating the, the media's attention. And I thought, yes, that's exactly what he's doing. If you understand that's what he's doing, then why are you, after acknowledging that you've gone off and chased the ball, why then are you going to spend the next hour chewing on it instead of dropping the ball of the day and going back to doing work that is not determined by the latest uh, verbal fart from this person. So it, it's maddening. So, I mean, they even know what they're doing when they're doing it, and they still don't stop doing it. But I think uh, Fu and I figured it out yesterday. Um, you know, it's money. Uh, media uh, will be bereft without uh, Donald Trump because he puts on a hell of a show. And it doesn't matter that now coverage of our government looks like, I mean, you know, look at the cast of characters. Look, just in the last week or so, look at Manafort. Look at Omarosa. Look at the president. Look at the people that make up the cast of this production. And believe me, if you were a Hollywood talent agent, you could not have cast it better. It is akin to one of those serialized drama programs of the, what, 80s or something, uh, Dynasty. It is the same lurid character, characters, the same tawdriness, although put in an um, environment of riches and power and the conniving, the lack of any moral standing anywhere or any moral center. It is exactly like, yeah, it's dynasty, only unfortunately... It's the United States of America, circa 2018, and it's our president, his family, his trusted employees, until they're not. Uh, it is, and that is why the media are just totally obsessed with it, because it's a show that just keeps us glued to it and it's on 24-7 but as I have said it is like a show like a, like a soap opera in that if you've ever been into a soap opera you can not see it for three, four, five weeks then jump back in and you catch up immediately so in terms of your mental health, there is no need to watch this current drama 
disgusting drama being played out on your television screen called the United States government. Uh, on a daily basis. There's just none. And I would suggest you don't. The other thing, which is a local story, now international, is, of course, the Catholic Church report. I have, you know, I have nothing to add. I feel uncomfortable um, because I am not a Catholic talking about it. Um, this, is, this is something that Catholics <laughs> and the courts, Catholics, in as much as all of us citizens have standing in this, it has to do with the judicial aspect of the case. Um, it has to do with, for instance, our own legislature, Pennsylvania legislature, uh, refusing to make any changes uh, with the statute of limitations so that victims can seek either criminal justice or, in some cases, uh, civil justice of some sort for their pain and their suffering. Um, a, a really un, uncomfortable report to read for any Pennsylvanian is a piece that the New York Times did today, uh, which is headline, Scathing Report, Unlikely to Change Laws. And they're talking about Pennsylvania laws. And they're saying that, you know, everything that is, you read in that report, as unbelievable as it is, as lurid, as, and so many of the reporters who have reported it on television have said, it's too, we cannot talk about the details of much of what was done because, well, because the FCC won't let them talk about such appalling sexual things. And so you would want, if these crimes are known now, you would want any perpetrators still living to be brought to justice, but the state legislature won't let that happen. There have been efforts year after year after year to lift that statute of limitations and it has been scuttled every time by the Republicans. And since they own the state legislature and since, according to this article, many of the Republican leaders in uh, the Pennsylvania legislature are owned by the Catholic Church, it ain't going to happen. They specifically uh, finger President of the Senate, Joe Scarnati. He has, and he's in a position to do so, has pretty much stopped in its tracks any legislative effort to... Um, to allow 
for a window, a retroactive provision that allows these um, victims, uh, despite the statute of limitations, to come forward. He has called that unconstitutional, and he has refused to let it go forward. Uh, the fact that an incredible number of his uh, st former staff uh, work for a lobbyist that um, represents the Pennsylvania Catholic Conference, <laughs> may or may not have something to do with it, so the Catholic Conference has his ear because some of his most trusted aides have left the government payroll and headed over, as so many do, to a lobbying firm that represents the Pennsylvania Catholic Conference, which is, by the way, uh, the state's uh, the public policy uh, arm of the church here in Pennsylvania. And... Uh, a Democratic state representative, Mark uh, Rossi, who uh, was raped by a priest when he was 13 and has been a tireless advocate uh, for uh, the victims of uh, church sexual abuse, he says this, the church is literally spending millions of dollars buying up politicians here and making sure every avenue victims take is shut down. Um, so that's where we all have standing, it seems to me. Uh, it is for Catholics to heal their church, but it is for all of us to heal our legislature and the fact that so many who supposedly are there to represent we the people are there instead to represent uh, corporate entities, or in this case, um, the Catholic Church, which is, of course, a huge power in this state, which is a very Catholic state. Um, the New York Times is very, very clear. The Republican-controlled state legislature has resisted calls to lift the statute of limitations despite several attempts by lawmakers over the past dozen years to do so. So this is where we the people with phone calls, letters, whatever, come in. So if you are outraged by this and feel powerless, that's one place we could maybe finally force our state legislatures, legislature to do what almost every other state, by the way, has done. And the, the Times makes that very clear. Uh, it says, most states have already extended or abolished statutes, to statutes of limitation for criminal prosecutions of child sexual abuse felonies. So it's not aimed at the Catholic Church. It's aimed at child sexual abusers, that there should not be statutes of limitations on that since children often don't process what has happened to them 
and or be able to even deal with it until they're well into their adulthood. And then they're told, go away, Mr. Chance. Some states, including Minnesota, Delaware, Massachusetts, Hawaii, have also restored a victim's expired rights to file civil suits. Pennsylvania has not done so. A law professor at the University of Pennsylvania says, and she's a research, does a lot of research into uh, policies to address child sexual abuses, flat out says, quote, the barrier in Pennsylvania is the bishops, and that's uh, plural, bishops, extraordinary power over leading Republicans. There you have it. Um, uneasy lies the head that uh, holds the mitre. Is that what that's called, a mitre that they uh, wear on their heads? I'm looking at Cardinal Whirl, who, of course, was the bishop here. And um, today's Wall Street Journal has a big story about him and uh, despite the fact that when he was here he was known as this uh, bishop who was extraordinarily tough on uh, priests who were sexual abusers and um, there are plenty of of instances in which that is is known uh, the, the one most famous of course uh, and I remember it well when the Vatican had uh, stepped in and and refused to allow him to uh, get rid of a priest who was accused of abuse. Uh, this is the case of uh, Father Anthony Cipolla. Uh, the Vatican, he tried, Whirl tried to get him out. The Vatican, somebody pulled some strings and the Vatican said, uh-uh. And Bishop Whirl took the extraordinary uh, step of flying to Rome to press his case. This was in 1993. Uh, and ultimately he prevailed and the Vatican uh, sided with Whirl, and uh, Father Cipolla was uh, kept out of the ministry. So that's my, that's the thing I sort of always had remembered him by. But the report uncovers other things and uncovers things in which the then Bishop Whirl uh, clearly was engaging in essentially cover-ups and payoffs where you pay money to the abused, the abused and in return for the money uh, you buy 
their uh, silence. Uh, I've got someone coming in and I'm just telling them, give me five minutes. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, this article seems to suggest that Whirl could be in trouble. He, of course, is now uh, a cardinal. He took over, and he's a very, very powerful cardinal uh, as head of the uh, the Washington uh, diocese. And um, a lot of people calling for his resignation. Now, what's interesting here is the loudest voices calling for Whirl's inauguration, <laughs> resignation, are conservatives in the church because he's a pal of the more liberal Pope Francis and they don't like Francis and they don't like Whirl and so you've got uh, conservative Catholics uh, writing in the National Review public publicly calling for his ouster uh, You've got liberal Catholics defending Whirl. So it comes down, even in the church, it comes down to, uh, yeah, right and left. Um, Whirl tried to get out ahead of the report, according to this Wall Street Journal report. He... Um, they put up a web site called uh, theworldrecord.com. This was done by his diocese. Uh, and this was before, it was just like a days before the report came out, uh, laying out his record on, uh, on sex abuse. Uh, people on social media went nuts when they put this site up. And uh, the site is now essentially gone. And if you do go to it, theworldrecord.com, uh, it uh, sends you off to the uh, Archdiocese website. Um, so I don't know. And you've got people here screaming for Zubik's head. Uh, Pretty good uh, piece by Megan McArdle in Washington Post opinion section today called What Would Jesus Do? Uh, and uh, it's pretty, it's pretty tough. Yeah, pretty tough stuff. So that's, uh, that's what we got. I don't know. And I mean, as I said, I don't feel comfortable uh, talking about it, but I think uh, Catholics uh, should feel comfortable and should talk and need to talk. Uh, Kurt says, given what you are saying, one wonders if and how untaxed contributions to the Catholic Church are being used like for paying lobbyists in Harrisburg 
so that we can't provide an avenue for these people who are stymied because of the statute of limitations to come forward and get justice? That's an interesting point, Kurt. So because the church is a church, you can contribute to it. And uh, those contributions are, that's interesting. And yet they go, I'm sure a lot of the money, I mean, goes to, yeah, lobbying efforts. Because the church, as you know, is a huge player in a lot of legislative arenas. Uh, the largest, of course, being uh, abortion. So that is interesting. I don't pretend to have uh, an answer. You know, Pope Francis in the, the silence from the Vatican, by the way, is another distressing aspect of this. You would think if the Vatican were um, as savvy, media savvy as they sometimes are, <laughs> that they would have uh, a statement out and ready to go when this uh, report was unveiled. And the fact that they did not and the fact that they still don't and the Pope has been silent is, um, is pretty astonishing. And we have this breaking news, and I thank Bob for it. It's a sad, but sad, but not unexpected. Aretha Franklin has has died. Uh, queen of soul. I mean, just an amazing, amazing. I mean, no need for me to sing her her praises. Uh, the queen of soul. And. Uh, all I can do is say to her, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, one of you, who's also named Lynn, and who I told recently when I responded to something she said, is that we seem to be peas in a pod, or uh, has written and said, I, I, too, have a dog named Blue. <laughs> hey, Ryan, come on in. Just pull, pull up this chair here. We're going to... And you got to pull it over here. You got to sit up close. This is, folks. This is Ryan Dito. Hello. Hello. And uh, he is our crack uh, reporter here at Pittsburgh City Paper. And I, I happen. That is you. <laughs> Indefatigable, hardworking, always there. The terror of those <laughs> in power. Um, you had a piece that you know certainly raised my eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's. It made it made me angry. Yeah, yeah. It. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. Go for it. So uh, um, there was a Zillow put out uh, some data. Let's talk about who Zillow is. It's oh yeah. Real oh sorry. Zillow is a uh, real estate website that uh, aggregates um, uh, home homes for purchase, but also rentals. Uh, thousands of of rentals actually. So if and you're looking, you know, for a place to live, 
or uh, you know own or rent you uh, Zillow is one of the places now you just go right there you can see everything it's everywhere. probably one of the biggest yeah, in the whole country amazing. actually and, and it, it's really good for nebby people too because <laughs> because like you can like oh look at that and then you can like take a tour of the house I mean it's amazing yeah you could spend an entire day looking in people's closets That's I'm true. not kidding well okay. yes and <laughs> And they also, uh, they're, a, they're a Silicon Valley company, so they, um, they, they use all their data and they, um, and they put out studies and they put out uh, different things. And they uh, shared some data with some reporters and uh, I was able to look at uh, the Pittsburgh data and uh, talking about rent pricing in Pittsburgh. And we've been on this sustained trend for uh, almost a year now of uh, rents going up for the lower income people while at the same time going down for the uh, richer people. Yeah, yeah, that's America for you. <laughs> there you go. The rents for the poor people are going up, and the rents for the rich people with all the money are going down. That's in Pittsburgh. That is not a common, is it? Well, they did say there are other cities where there it's There are other happening. cities that it's happening. Um, but the cities that it's happening are the cities we don't want to be like in this regard because they're Portland and San Francisco and Seattle. Seattle and uh, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Denver, yeah. kind of these very spiky, popular um, cities that a lot of people are moving to. Uh, I think what's unique about Pittsburgh inclusion on this data is that it it's one of the few cities uh, that, are, that are on this list that actually – don't really have that huge sustained growth that we're seeing in DC or we're seeing in Denver or But uh, it's happening nonetheless. Yes. And and I think well, can you drive anywhere in town now, especially where I live in the East End or in the Strip District or come to think of it it's everywhere. The south side. South side. Mm -hmm. Uh Lawrenceville. Oh yeah. Um Without seeing Oakland. some, uh, yeah, I mean everywhere, right, 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 right. <laughs> without, downtown, yeah, downtown too. Without seeing some big building, um, either being renovated or built, that is going to be uh, rental units, yes, and that are mostly luxury. They're really yeah. high yes. price, and I've thought, looking at some of these monstrosities, who the hell, who are all these rich people who are living in these places? And in fact, Zillow suggests that there's way too many of these places being built. And yeah, and that's actually been something that um, a lot of housing advocates in the city have been saying for a while. And there was a study that I wrote about earlier this year out of a D.C.-based um, firm that actually said that we do have an oversupply of these uh, large, you know, what we would call luxury units or high-end units, and um, it at the same time, it looks like we're seeing a little bit of a crunch with our, um, I guess, lower income or moderately priced uh, right. units. So that's what drives, okay, so you don't have, every everybody, I guess, who, not everybody, but a ton of landlords now, yep. uh, they want to target these, uh, which is what happened at the Penn Plaza thing. Yes. Now, you look at Penn Plaza, where they literally threw poor people out the door so they could raise those buildings and instead put up ones that they could put rich people in, mm -hmm. hence making a lot more money. Yeah. This is happening all over the place. And as fewer uh, apartments are available for people with lower incomes, what does the market do? Yeah. The market mean, then says, hey, 
we have a shortage of supply here yep. for these poor folks, so we can jack up our rents. Yeah. Because there's so much more competition for those for those places, and and I think if anybody, um, as I mentioned in my um, article here, actually it's a uh, that that oversupply for some of these wealthier places is really evident. There was an ad I saw on Facebook just the other day for one of the places in the Strip District that's actually offering a month's free rent for people to move in, and these rents are high, and they're probably like fifteen hundred or over. I mean that's high for Pittsburgh, right? Um, low for other places, but. Um, uh, that offering free rent. Now you're never going to find where I live in Bloomfield. My rent's $800 <laughs> yeah. uh, for, you know, for a one bedroom. And uh, you're never going to find any place that's comparable <laughs> to where I live. That's going to give you a free month's rent to move in because there's uh, probably eight or nine people that are waiting to move into that same apartment. Exactly. And that's that kind of crunch that's existing here. And I should say too, that this data that Zillow has put out, it's actually called into question by some other um, sources. They were saying that uh, um, they're not taking into factor apartments. I don't think that's happening in Pittsburgh because they're, I just went on Zillow's website right now and there are thousands of listings that include, I guess, maybe what wouldn't be an apartment complex, but it would be like a multifamily mm -hmm. unit like where I live, which I would call an apartment, right? Um, and also there's a, um, the what's interesting about the rental market too, that we should take into effect when we look at this data too, is that there's, uh, there's spikes in it too, right? So the, the higher end rental market, the upper third of, you know, the richest places, they're more volatile. They'll go up higher and then go down lower. But typically the lower priced units follow, you know, that same spike. So when, uh, lower price units get more expensive, the upper price units get more expensive at a sharper rate. And then when, when lower price units go down, the uh, upper price units also tend to go down at a sharper rate. But right now, for the That's last year, we've been experiencing this, this weird kind of thing where they're going in opposite directions, which really hasn't happened before in the past. And I, I think it's definitely uh, probably has to do with some of the oversupply and um, lack of uh buildings that are moderately priced there's no new building i mean i won't no, say there's no almost new buildings. no there's new almost building. no new buildings in pittsburgh that would be in the range of where i live in like the 800 to like gotcha. a right. thousand or my son too. yeah you, right you there's... know for like a one bedroom that just that just doesn't exist so we're just competing for the existing supply which is still pretty high um but obviously not high enough and uh also, just not, you know, the places that are kind of falling into disrepair. So, let's say we get Amazon. What the hell do you think will happen then? You know, this yeah. this almost seems to me like we're getting ready for Amazon. <laughs> that, that, you know, I've seriously, that we're I've, ahead of I've, the curve. I've thought that same thing. Um, I think with the, with the um, upper-end rental units is... This is just how our system, how our development system is actually designed, is that the only thing that developers see profitable are high-end high development end. units. And so some of them will compete for a very shrinking small pot of federal grants so they could build affordable housing, basically. But that grant is, you know, those pots are shrinking. Um, the Trump administration has given uh, no indication that they even care about those, you know, grants you know, growing them, even as almost every city in America has a rental crisis. And uh, it's uh, so I think that's kind of what 
what we're experiencing is that we let the market just play this out. And so we have developers like the, you know, Gumbergs, for example. Well, actually, they're not even building housing anymore, you know, at that spot. Walnut capital. But, yeah, I mean, you have these you know, developers and they are looking to build luxury units because that's where they can actually make a profit or make a bigger profit. And there's really just not a lot of money to be made uh, in, um, I guess, building moderately priced places. At least that's what the developers say. And so maybe the government needs to provide grants or subsidies or something. And that's just, it just well, hasn't I happened Well, I think the developers, the developers say that because they make more. It's not that they don't make money yeah. if they were to decide, you know, I'm going to put up affordable housing for yep. regular people. Yep. They'd make money. Yeah. I would. I, I mean, they I like make to, money. I like but to they, think they would too. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I love they to see, just I love to won't see make as much as they want. Yeah. You know, because yeah. the idea is always go where you can get the most, which is, you know, it's the American way. Yeah. And meanwhile, I don't know where you want more homeless. We'll have them. You want more people, um, you know, really living in. We had a guy on the show yesterday yeah. who squats. Yeah. 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 Wow. He, he recommends it actually. He recommends yeah. squatting. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think our government can supply people our you know our great American people with uh, adequate homes for a decent price. I think that's a. A pretty basic need and well, a, a basic right. You know, uh, I don't know if you're... So East Liberty Boulevard, if you can call it up in your head, there's all of this. They're putting up stuff left and right in uh -huh. East Liberty. Yeah. I thought, and that is where there had been public uh, yes. public housing. Public housing, yeah. And they're taking that stuff down and putting yeah. this marvelous-looking new stuff yeah. up. But I thought that was really just for to be affordable housing for poorer people. Is it, or is there, well, I don't think it's well, quite. Well, I mean, the new stuff in East Liberty, use, yeah, I the, think. the new stuff in East Liberty um, is mostly high end. With, it is? Oh, yeah, like the stuff that's right on the busway. Oh, yeah, stuff yeah, over. no, but I'm talking over where the public housing oh, used to be. no, that's actually, so there's the, the stuff that on the border of East Liberty and Larimer, and Larimer. is um, a federal grant, that's all affordable housing. Wow. Yes. Well, that's some good no, stuff. No, yeah. So, but so, I would think so. There's, I'm sure everybody's signing up to get in. Oh, those are full. They're full. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're I not mean, even all built, but well, they're yeah. full. No, I mean, every everything that's affordable is full. I mean, we that's why we have a shortage. That's, I mean, I think, uh, okay. I think the number might be down to like uh, seventeen thousand units or something like that. At one point, it was like twenty thousand, and we have been building affordable housing, and we still have a relative amount of affordable housing, but this report also indicates people who might not even qualify. I don't, you know, I don't qualify for affordable housing. That's for people at uh, like 50% or 60% uh, of the federal know, poverty uh, rate of the average median income, what oh, they call okay. it, AMI. Uh -huh. And so I don't qualify for that. Most people don't qualify for that. And so this is a problem of basically people who are right above that cutoff who wouldn't even apply for that, who who just can't who are now facing higher rents yeah. because of this lower supply, even though we we spent all this money, or I guess developers spent all this money building new units that are just, well, I mean, they're very expensive for, you know, people of my income and other other people like It's me. like the only, you know, the only people who really matter the are, are the rich. I yeah. mean, they get it all. Well, and especially with the system we have right now. Yeah. Because it just, it's just, it, it, it just encourages that and, and, 
you're right. I mean, it would it would be really interesting to see it. It would be really interesting to see some developer just build an apartment complex that would basically have those moderate rents and see see if they can make it successful. I'd love to see that. I'd cover that in you know in a heartbeat. So. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. This guy does a lot of great work for City Papers, which is why you should pick it up. And, thank you. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Okay, Ryan. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, just wanted you to know because I thought it was pretty outrageous. I'm, and man, just I pray every night that Amazon doesn't come here. I mean, that will be a disaster. Just saying. So I told you yesterday because I'm always ahead of stuff. You just listen here and you'll be a day ahead of everything. Did I not tell you yesterday that today uh, newspapers all over the uh, country were going to run editorials about um, uh, the media and freedom of the press and the fact that the media are not the enemy of the people as our Fuhrer uh, insists. And um, I said, what do you want to make a bet that the Post-Gazette does not do it? Well, uh, I have the Post-Gazette. And I guess they could go on record as saying they did it, but nah, not really. Because what they do, and I'm sure this is written by Keith Burris, the same guy who fired Rob Rogers, essentially, and who, oh, now they're gonna, not going to let me see it. They're not going to, for God's sakes, you let me look at it a second ago. They keep blocking me because I'm not, they want me to pay them, and I'm not going to pay them. Screw them. So what they did is the first part of the editorial is like saying, you know, there's free press and the media is, is uh, you know, necessary for our democracy to work. And then the whole second half of the editorial is, but, but the president is right that a lot of newspapers and media have become uh, his, I mean, he's right to see them as his enemy and it's unprecedented, blah, 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 blah. And so, as, as, as one former employee uh, said on, uh, on Twitter, well, exactly what you'd expect. It's almost like uh, Trump said after uh, Charlottesville. Well, there are good people on both sides, right? Fine people on both sides. Uh, you know, I did cancel my subscription, and I um, I feel bad about it, but I'm finding ways to access. I'm I'm sure I'm missing some local stories, and uh, and even if you guys send me uh, send me stories and a link to them, when I click on them, <laughs> the PG won't let me read it. You know, they tell me to uh, sorry. You have read as many as we're going to let you read uh, this month. So I might be uh, missing some. I actually, now that I have a dog, uh, when I walk my dog really early in the morning, I, I've been eyeballing a few um, post-gazettes on my uh, neighbor's driveways and thinking, you know, I could just 
pick it up, take a quick look, put it right back, and they'll never know. And then I won't have spent any money on it. But I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not. Um, and if you do uh, unsubscribe, uh, you do end up getting a check in the mail signed by John Effen Block, which I loved. I just love seeing a signature on a check for over $200 to me. And it was what was left of uh, my, I guess, yearly uh, subscription that I had paid. Anyway, the New York Times did this, a little bit of an editorial, and then um, uh, snippets from some of the other papers that uh, participated today. And I, I believe it's uh, over, I can't remember. It's a ton. It's like over 400 uh, newspapers throughout uh, the country uh, today doing something on the fact that a free press is absolutely necessary. And the New York Times quotes Thomas Jefferson in 1787 writing to a friend who said, and he said this, were it left to me to decide whether we should have a government without newspapers or newspapers without a government, I would not hesitate a moment to prefer the latter. In other words, he's saying, I'd rather have no government at all but give me newspapers rather than a government and no newspapers. Um, and they also quote a uh, Supreme Court decision from 1964. Public discussion is a political duty, and that discussion must be uninhibited, robust, and wide open, and may well include vehement, caustic, and sometimes unpleasantly sharp attacks on government and public officials. It has ever been thus, right? I was taken by some of the little excerpts from some of the little newspapers in the heartland and, and in those big square states and stuff. Like here, this is an editorial in today's Leader News in Washburn, North Dakota. Our bias is toward the betterment of our city. Our agenda is keeping the public informed and empowered. Our allegiance is to the people in the communities we serve. In everything this newspaper does, even when it doesn't seem that way, we are by your side. That's wonderful to me. I think that was just great. And it is, it is the passion that reporters feel. I mean, I, we become so cynical that we don't think reporters feel that way, that they care about the cities they live in and report on. They care about the schools their children attend and that they report on. They care about the government of the cities in which they live and report on, and they understand their journalistic duty and responsibility is to inform the residents, their neighbors, in the town they live in. Here's from the Boise 
weekly. And, you know, these I, I'm doing these from red states because I want you to see what people in red state America are, are reading in their papers today, okay? The Boise Weekly. There is nobility, selflessness, and even greatness in people from Boston to Boise and beyond. But the current climate of divisiveness stoked by a rash but charismatic leader has eroded some trust in one another and quite possibly eroded trust in ourselves. Folks in Jeffersonville, Indiana are reading this. Some dismiss us out of hand as if we were more annoyance than a partner in the community. We remain committed, though, to delivering the news of the day without sanitation and information that but for our efforts would elude public scrutiny. This is why that, the last part, is why a free press is, as Jefferson understood, more essential even than a government because it tells we, the people, the sovereigns, supposedly, what we need to know about what those who we allow to hold the levers of power are doing. Uh, I ripped off this thing from the Corbin, Kentucky Times Tribune. Our leaders, be they the president of the nation or of the city council, do not choose to whom they are accountable to. They are accountable to, I'm, I'm, I'm making some of this up because I ripped part of it out, accountable to the citizenry. We hold them to it to do anything less would be a dereliction of our, of our duty. Um, so I, uh, and here was a Sag Harbor Express s said what I w sort of was saying before. Um, in community journalism, the work we do is a labor of love because we are working in the place we live, the place we raise our children, but more importantly because we understand we play a vital role in our democracy. That is what the vast majority of reporters. I, I mean, I've been in uh, relatively a journalistic arena for all of my professional life, and I got to tell you, um, that is something that people with this awesome responsibility feel. Now, there are outliers. There are people who... Uh, use the power of the pen or of the microphone to uh, not spread truth or, uh, and in fact, choose to divide or serve as propaganda outlets. And we're seeing more and more of that, and it's, it's really, it's part of what's killing us. It really is. I don't know. So I, I happen to see that when Trump uh, took uh, Brennan's security clearance, he cited, it says here, what he called Brennan's erratic behavior. 
I can't remember when it occurred to me, but it was a long time ago now, that everything Trump spews at somebody is often, often untrue of the person he's spewing it at, but is almost always true of himself. So that when he calls, you know, somebody a lying this and that, you'd be hard-pressed to ever trump Trump in the lying department, as we have come to know. And so for him to call John Brennan erratic, when that's a really fine word to apply to Donald Trump, he also had Sarah Huckabee Sanders read uh, a statement saying that um, Brennan had abused his access and had uh, engaged in, here's a direct quote, outrageous allegations and wild outbursts on the Internet. What? Excuse me, if I were to just say to you, I'm not kidding, really, seriously, who am I talking about if I call them erratic and uh, spewing outrageous allegations and wild outbursts on the internet, internet? Who am I talking about? Huh? <laughs> well, I don't know anyone who would say John <laughs> Brennan, but I sure as hell know a lot of folks who would say, well, Come on. Quite clearly, it's Donald Trump. Um, hi, little people telling me how to get around the Post Gazette messing me with me. If you go to your browser's preferences, you can delete the PG's cookies. I can? Okay, well, I'll hang on to that and. It's their cookies that are able to, is that what's doing it? Okay, cool. Um, oh, yeah, I saw this. You know, Pittsburgh is always uh, touting itself as one of America's most livable cities because we got that designation. When the hell was that, 1822 now? It was a long time ago. But, I mean, we, we were real proud at the time, and, and it seemed true. And there's another list out of the world's uh, most uh, wondrous cities to live in. And uh, we came in, I'm trying to remember, I sent this to myself, we came in in this global uh, race, first of all, as the second American city that made the list. The second American city that made the list. And we came in at number 32. This is of the top 100 countries you might want to live in. I mean cities. So the only other American city that came in ahead of us, and they came in at 25, and we're 32, so that's close. The only other American city that beat us out was Honolulu. I'm just saying. And the city that won overall... Vienna. 
Vienna, Austria, the number one most livable city in the world. And that's followed the top, here are the top ten. Uh, Vienna, God, I'll tell you, there's a ton in Australia and Canada if you're looking to go somewhere. I mean, get the hell out of Dodge if you know what I'm talking about. But since we're on the list, too. Okay, Vienna's number one, and I'm going down from there. Melbourne, Osaka, Japan, Calgary, Canada, Sydney, Australia, Vancouver, Canada, Toronto, Canada, Tokyo, Japan, Copenhagen, Denmark, and Adelaide, Australia. What? What is that about? It's every friggin' city in Australia and Canada, practically, except Quebec. And wait a minute. Oh, and Vancouver? Didn't? Oh, yeah, Vancouver is there. And the cost of living there is so huge that for them to get on, they would have had to have all their other things, you know, because that is entered into it. You know, what's the, how much does it cost to live there? And that's one of the things that's always helped Pittsburgh rise in these, um, in these uh, lists. So anyway, we're still, uh, you know, we still come out looking really good on these things. Uh, just saying. Okay, hey, thanks, all of you, for telling me how to get around this stuff. There's a lot of posts here. I'll look at them when I get home. Um, Roger writes, that's, it was an interesting conversation you had with Ryan about rents. My wife and I might be bad guys. Okay, you own some property? We bought and moved to a Bellevue duplex in 1994. The apartments were renting for $350 a month. After our tenants moved out and we purchased a single-family home, we renovated the two apartments and now charge $1,000 a month. 1000 from 350 but 350 was 94 for God's sakes. I don't know, 1000 a month in Bellevue, that's, that, that's probably fair market. How much? Last year we purchased another Bellevue duplex which had no tenants. We gutted and considerably upgraded the kitchen bathrooms, blah, 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 I added central AC. Okay, you did all this work and now charge $1,000 a month. We found out that the previous tenants had paid $400 a month just 18 months ago. Okay, so people had lived in that same place, but it wasn't the same place because you put in... AC, hardwood floors, upgraded the kitchen and bathrooms. I don't know. Roger, I don't know. It doesn't sound like you're gouging too much. No? I don't know. Bellevue is gentrifying, he says. Where are poor people supposed to rent? Well, as you said, whoever was living there before you upgraded it a bit uh, for 400 a month, and that was just a year and a half ago, and now that same real estate, although improved, is selling for a, a thousand. Well, it's a case in point. I'm not going to point fingers at you, though. I have no idea. Having not rented for a long time, my son rents a hovel in um, Bloomfield, a studio apartment, and uh, it's under $800, as well it should be. <laughs> um yeah, no AC, no, I mean, it's, it's a wonder there's a toilet in it. Uh, yeah, so. Um, 
So, guys, let's see. What else I got? I feel, oh, it's over. It's over. I managed to get the dog in the crate before I left, so I'm not worrying about my shoes or anything else, and I wasn't in as much of a hurry as I was yesterday. However, um, I do have to go because the clock says so. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you'll do so tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.